Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of life and for sustaining us till this time. Glory be unto your name, O Lord. Dear Father, we commit ourselves unto your care and we ask that you would grant to us the gift of your spirit that we may have understanding of your word, that we may search it and find in it lessons and blessings that will be added to our lives to make us better people, to make us refined and to make us conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, please give us food for our hungry and thirsty souls. Put your words in my mouth and sanctify me, O Lord, and consecrate me to your service. For I have nothing to say to your children. For the sake of Jesus that died on the cross of Calvary, please, Lord, use me as a vessel and put your words in my mouth, that words may be spoken to bless and edify your children. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. sanctified skill. And Huram finished the work that he was to make for King Solomon for the house of God. Second Chronicles chapter 4 verse 11. Chosen men were specially endowed by God with skill and wisdom for the construction of the wilderness tabernacle in Exodus chapter 35 verse 30 to 35. The descendants of these men inherited to a large degree the skill conferred upon their forefathers. For a time, these men remained humble and unselfish, but gradually, almost imperceptibly, they lost their hold upon God and His truth. They began to ask for higher wages because of their superior skill in some instances. Their request was granted, but more often, those asking higher wages found employment in the surrounding nations. It was to these apostates that Solomon looked for a master workman to superintend the construction of the temple on Mount Moriah. This master workman, Huram, was a descendant on his mother's side of Aholiab, to whom hundreds of years before God had given special wisdom for the construction of the tabernacle. Thus, at the head of Solomon's company of workmen, there was placed an unsanctified man who demanded large wages because of his unusual skill. The baleful influences set in operation by the employment of this man, of a grasping spirit, permeated all branches of the Lord's service and extended throughout Solomon's kingdom. Extravagance and corruption were to be seen on every hand. The poor were oppressed by the rich. The spirit of self-sacrifice in God's service was well nigh lost. Herein lies a most important lesson for God's people today, a lesson that many are slow to learn. Those who claim to be followers of the master worker and who engage in his service as co-laborers with God are to bring into their work the exactitude and skill 
the tact and wisdom that the God of perfection required in the building of the earthly tabernacle. And now, as in that time, and as in the days of Christ's earthly ministry, devotion to God and the spirit of sacrifice should be regarded as the first requisites of acceptable service. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Unsanctified Skill. Before David died, he committed to Solomon a work that was very important and that is the work of the building of the temple in Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. The man who was selected to do this work was a man called Hiram or Huram. And like we read, he was of the descendants of Aholiab from his mother's side. Aholiab, remember, is the one who along with Bezalel was given the work to build the tabernacle, the temple that was built in the wilderness. In looking at the lesson between uh, from the story of Solomon and Huram, there is a lesson to learn for us today. And simply put, it is just in that last statement we heard, there are prerequisites for doing work for God. And one is a spirit of sacrifice. It is not skill that is the most important thing. It is sanctification, consecration to the work of God and the spirit of sacrifice that is most important to God. It is not how skillful someone is or the eloquence of the person. But Solomon sought for experts instead of him to seek for people who in them dwelt the spirit of God. He called on consecrated people to build the temple of God and it had its effect in his kingdom. Reading 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 8, let us see something about Hiram. It says, And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the things that thou sentest to me for, and I will do all thy desire concerning timber of cedar and concerning timber of fire. Here, Solomon had requested that Hiram gives him timber, and he had leaned, lent, he was leaning on the relationship between Hiram and his father David, and Solomon had told Hiram, Please, Continue the relationship you had with David with me. Give me the beautiful wood and um, exotic materials of wood that you have for me to use for building. And so Hiram said, I will do it. Verse 9 goes on. It says, My servant shall bring them down from Lebanon unto the sea, and I will convey them by sea in floats unto the, unto the place that thou shalt appoint me, and will cause them to be discharged there. And thou shalt receive them, and thou shalt accomplish my desire in giving food for my household. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fair trees according to all his desire. Now listen to what Solomon paid Hiram in return. It says, And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for food to his household, and 20 measures of pure oil. Thus gave Solomon to Hiram. How often? year by year but that's not all verse 12 now says and the lord gave solomon wisdom as he promised him and there was peace between hiram and solomon and they two made a league together but you see when we start to work for god and the work we are doing for god is money oriented there's going to be a problem hiram was very very money driven and it didn't go well between hiram and Solomon at the time because of what uh, Hiram was requesting. His wages were very high. 
when at a time Solomon did not give him what he wanted, he reacted wrongly. In the book of First Kings chapter 19, reading from verse 10, it says, Now, at the end of twenty years, in which time Solomon had put up the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram, king of Tyre, had given Solomon cedar trees and cypress trees and gold, as much as he had need of. King Solomon gave Hiram twenty towns in the land of Galilee. But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the towns which Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. And he, had, and he said, What sort of towns are these which you have given me, my brother? So they were named the land of Kabul to this day. And do you know what the land of Kabul means? It means good for nothing. Can you imagine? That is what Hiram called the towns that Solomon gave to him. It couldn't satisfy him. To him, he deserved more than that. Do you get the spirit now we're talking about? Hiram was given those towns. How many of them? And Hiram could, all Hiram could say about it is that it is good for nothing. You see, from Huram's response here, it is apparent that he was working for money. It was not a sacrificial work for God. He saw the building of the temple as an opportunity to make money. He was more like an expatriate. He had lost his love for God and didn't count it a privilege to do work for God. Also, Solomon left the building of the temple to the heathen. The joy of service for God was effectually killed through this manner of working. This is different, starkly different from the way that Moses built the temple when they were in the wilderness. Let us look at that account in Exodus 35, reading from verse 20 and down to 29. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and all jewels of gold. And every man that offered offered an offering of gold unto the Lord, and every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Every one that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering, and every man with whom was found sheeting wood for any work of the service brought it. And all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands, and brought that which they had spun, both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. And the rulers brought oinks, stones, and stones to be set for the effort and for the breastplate, and spice and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. Amen. Reading from Councils on Stewardship, page 201, 
It says, We see the churches of our day encouraging feasting, gluttony and dissipation by the suppers, fairs, dances and festivals gotten up for the purpose of gathering means into the church treasury. Here is a method invented by carnal minds to secure means without sacrificing. Such an example makes an impression upon the minds of the youth. They notice that lotteries and fairs and games are sanctioned by the church and they think there is something fascinating in this way of obtaining means. A youth is surrounded by temptations. He enters the bowling alley, the gambling saloon, and to see the sport. He sees the money taken by the one who wins. This looks enticing. It seems an easier way of obtaining money than by earnest work, which requires persevering energy and strict economy. He imagines there can be no harm in this for similar games have been resorted to in order to obtain means for the benefit of the church. Then, why should he not help himself in this way? He has a little means which he ventures to invest, thinking it may bring in quite a sum. Whether he gains or loses, he is in the downward road to ruin. But was this exa- was the example of the ch- but it was the example of the church that led him to the into the false path. Let us stand clear of all these church corruptions, dissipations, and festivals which have a demoralizing influence upon young and old. We have no right to throw over them the cloak of sanctity because the means is to be used for church purposes. Such offerings are lame and diseased and bear the curse of God. They are the price of souls. The pulpit may defend festivals, dancing, lotteries, fairs, and luxurious feasts to obtain means for church purposes. But let us participate in none of these things. For if we do, God's displeasure will be upon us. We do not propose to appeal to the lust of the appetite to resort to carnal amusements as an inducement to Christ's professed followers to give of the means which God has entrusted to them. If they do not give willingly for the love of Christ, the offering will in no case be acceptable to God." End of quote. So any offering we are raising, any funds that is not of a free will, it is not acceptable to God when we are doing these different means of raising funds. So, apart from the fundraising, we've also seen how we should work sacrificially because even that this free will offering is a form of working sacrificially for God. Reading page 204 of Councils on Stewardship, it says, The plan of Moses in the wilderness to raise means was highly successful. There was no compulsion necessary. Moses made no grand feast. He did not invite the people to scenes of gaiety, dancing, and general amusement. Neither did he institute lotteries or anything of this profane order to obtain means to erect the tabernacle of God in the wilderness. God commanded Moses to invite the children of Israel to bring the offerings. Moses was to accept gifts of every man that gave willingly from his heart. These free will offerings came in so great abundance that Moses proclaimed it was enough. They must seize their presence, for they had given abundantly more than they could use. Satan's temptations succeed with the professed followers of Christ on the point of indulgence of pleasure and appetite. Clothed as an angel of light, he will quote scripture to justify the temptations he places before men to indulge the appetite and in worldly pleasures which suit the carnal heart. The professed followers of Christ are weak in moral power and are fascinated with the bribe which Satan has presented before them and he gains the victory. How does God look upon churches that are sustained by such means? 
Christ cannot accept these offerings because they were not given through their love and devotion to him, but through their idolatry of self. But what many would not do for the love of Christ, they will do for the love of the delicate luxuries to gratify the appetite and for love of worldly amusements to please the carnal heart. So here we see that there is a system that was set up by Moses. It was a system where you are to give willingly, not one where you are compelled to give or something must be given to you before you give. Today we see that happening. Like people want to be given entertainment before they give. So occasions and parties, although they won't call it parties, they call it programs, concerts, bazaars, are brought up lotteries in the church so that people can give. This is no different from what Hiram was doing. Hiram wanted something in return before he can give to the Lord. So also many church members want something in return before they can give to the Lord. They want you to entertain them with music and then they come and drop money. They want you to entertain them with concerts and bazaars and with food. Then they can give donations to the church. God doesn't like this kind of giving. And like we uh, have read, we see here that that is not what the Lord wants. He will not accept it. We may take it in the church, but God does not accept it like we just read. He does not accept it. Why? Because it is not coming out of a spirit of sacrifice. Something had to be given before you give. So you see here that the free will offering of the people in the building of the temple is very important. It develops in the people a spirit of sacrifice that makes us laborers together with God. It is a privilege to do work for God. So. In the time when Solomon was building this temple, this spirit of sacrifice was not encouraged. It would have been better if Solomon had told the people of Israel to make sacrifices rather than calling expatriates to do a work that will require a lot of money. Imagine how much he paid Hiram. Hiram was paid, what, 20 towns in Galilee and who was given measure of wheat year by year just for this work he was doing. And how did Hiram treat it? He did not appreciate it. He, he asked what kind of towns are these? You could see the kind of covetousness and greed that had already entered this man. And by the way, don't forget, Hiram is an Israelite. But among them, some of them had become people who collect high wages. Hiram is one of them. So he couldn't come down to do a work free of charge or to do it for a very small amount of money or to do it sacrificially. He had become a very um, exotic kind of person now the lesson that we learn from here like i said earlier is that when we are doing work for god we should not exact wages from god as though we are exacting wages from someone who is not our father if you were to do work for your father your earthly father how much will you charge him when you know very well that this is someone who took care of you since you were born our Father in heaven is the one who has been taking care of us and we owe him everything we have. If by any means we ought to do anything for the Lord, we ought to do it for him sacrificially, not charging the Lord for the work that we are doing for him. Of course, of necessity, some people need to take care of themselves and therefore for the work they do, they should be paid. But when we are doing the work of the Lord, we should realize that we are doing it out of love. All that we need is our sustenance. 
and to exact wages in such a way that we feel like unless we are paid a high wage we will not do the work shows that we have forgotten who it is we are working for and we do not appreciate him how can we do that to the lord seeing that he is our god who has saved us from our sins paid with his blood something that you can never ever pay for and then now when you want to work for him what should you do should you ask for wages the first time i ever went for evangelisms i saw people who thought themselves to be expatriates hired people that should be paid and it was surprising to me as for me evangelism and doing this kind of work uh, of ministry is something that you do gratefully when you understand that the Lord has been good to you and you are thankful to him for all that he has done. If you have something else you are doing, of course, you have a work. It shouldn't come to do work for God in such a manner that you are demanding wages. And then you say, unless you are paid those wages, then you will not do the work. Instead, you should even be doing it without being called. All of us are to have a time that we spend in doing something in service for God and it, is, it shouldn't be something that you charge him for it doesn't mean that for example the pastors who and those who are doing the ministerial work who are allocated the tithe shouldn't collect the tithe don't get me wrong that's not what I'm talking about but occasionally that's what we're saying here this is not the work of the pastor but occasionally perhaps there's some times where we need to do work for God like in the building of the sanctuary it was not something that they were going to be doing every month and forever it was just something that was done once the building of that temple they donated freely and they were not asking for payment instead they were giving and that's the kind of spirit we should have reading from patriarchs and prophets page 344 paragraph 5 it says while the building of the sanctuary was in progress the people old and young men women and children continued to bring their offerings until those in charge of the work found that they had enough and even more than could be used and moses caused to be proclaimed throughout the camp let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary so the people were restrained from bringing the murmurings of the israelites and the visitations of god's judgment because of their sins are recorded as a warning to after generations and their devotion their zeal and liberality are an example worthy of imitation. All who love the worship of God and prize the blessing of his sacred presence will manifest the same spirit of sacrifice in preparing a house where he may meet with them. They will desire to bring to the Lord an offering of the very best that they possess. A house built for God should not be left in debt for he is thereby dishonored. An amount sufficient to accomplish the work should be freely given, that the workmen may be able to say, as did the builders of the tabernacle, bring no more offerings. End of quote. That is the spirit of sacrifice that we are to have when doing work for God. Conflict and Courage, page 198, paragraph 4 says, Herein lies a most important lesson for God's people today, a lesson that many are slow to learn. Those who claim to be followers of the master worker and who engage in his service as co-laborers with God are to bring into their work the exactitude and skill, the tact and wisdom that the God of perfection required in the building of the earthly tabernacle. So, first thing you are to bring, 
bring your skill bring your tact and your wisdom but second but mostly he says and now as in that time as in the days of christ's ministry devotion to god and a spirit of sacrifice should be regarded as the first requisites of acceptable service end of quote what do we consider the first requisites when we are selecting people for the work of god too often unfortunately what is considered the first requisite is people's qualifications Unfortunately today, people are ordained as ministers in the house of God and are told that they cannot work for God unless they have a certificate from the world. Presently, I know that in some churches, many churches, people are told you cannot work for us unless you have primary school certificate. That was the first one. Secondly, they they made it to be YX certificate. Later, they now changed it. You must have a diploma or BSc from a university before you can be qualified to work for God. Is that supposed to be the requisite, the first requisite? You see, when we start to do things like this, we are following the example of Solomon. Solomon was not looking for a consecrated person to build a temple. He was looking for only an expert, regardless of whether he was consecrated or not. And in various areas of work, it is not just in the preaching of the gospel, in the health ministry, in the corporate work, in the preaching of the gospel, in the health food work, all of them in the medical missionary work. The first requisite, it is not skill, it is not knowledge, because knowledge is not what matters for God. What matters is a consecration to the work. What matters is a spirit of sacrifice and devotion to God. The disciples of Jesus, the 12 of them, they were not selected because of the certificate they had or because of the school they had gone to. Jesus selected them based on their devotion, based on their piety. That was what he selected them for. And then the other things, he trained them to have it. He used whatever small skill they had because the important thing was consecration to God. And what is the meaning of this consecration? It is obedience to the commandments of God. If you select somebody for a work and that person is not consecrated and sanctified, the person does not regard the commandments of God, you are doing more harm than good. I mean, when we are doing work in the house of God, in the publishing ministry, in the sanitariums for the medical missionaries, in the health food work, in the ministerial evangelical work, in the corporate work, in the schools, in the educational work, in these six branches of the work of the Lord, the first requisite should be devotion to God and the spirit of sacrifice. Not one that is wanting to grab and get so much money. That is not what we should be looking out for. Now, in all that I am saying so far, it does not take away the fact that there are certain jobs that money needs to be spent by the church. If you are bringing, if the church wants to build, for example, they need to buy the cement, they need to buy uh, all the materials that will be used. But who is the one that's going to bring the money? The people make their own sacrifice to do that. But then those who are doing the building, if it is a church member, they need to make a sacrifice. That doesn't mean that they don't make some uh, uh, profit from it or they can always say, no, I won't make any profit. I'll give my strength freely. But even if there must be some profit made, it shouldn't be exerted in such a way that one wants to use the work of God to make themselves wealthy. That is the point I'm making. So it's not that one cannot collect the money and do the job. Of course, the materials need to be bought and even the people who are doing the work needs to be sustained. But not to the point where you are trying to make yourself wealthy out of the work done in the house of God. 
And when I am saying that it is consecration that we need, that doesn't neglect the need of skill. I'm just saying that this is the number one criteria. After that, then we can talk about skill and also knowledge. Because if somebody is consecrated to God, then they should have the knowledge of God. Because that is what the consecration is. So the knowledge of skill is not what is needed, but the knowledge of God, which is what makes us consecrated. And then skill is also required because those who are consecrated to god should also know that god is not a mediocre person he is one who wants us to be excellent in what we do so consecration does not negate the need for doing work very well doing it thoroughly doing it with all the intelligence and aptitude that is necessary it is not excluded from consecration there are some pastors today who when they are called to come and preach in a certain place, they give their bills. They say they must give them honorarium. Some collect very huge sums and they tell the local churches, you people must give me this amount of money before I come and preach in your church. And while I'm leaving, you must package this and package that. Why? This is the spirit of Hiram. And churches who are paying such sums and listening to the pastors who are telling them to do that, they are not doing any good. If such thing must be done, it must be done out of a free will from the minds of those who are in that church. Not the person being like Hiram and requiring and saying, this is what you are going to give me well, while I'm doing the work of God. If you will not pay me this, then I won't do it. The people can appreciate as much as they want, give as much as you want to the person. But the problem now is the problem of the man who wants to work for God anywhere. And yet, in going to preach, you are asking for money from the people. If the people want to bless and help, no problem. But you should not insinuate, whether in a very sly way, in a joking manner, in a trifling manner, any way at all, that the people are to pay you any sum because this is the work of God. And many times, this, what I'm saying, they may be even receiving the tithe. And also for the success of the work, it is important, it is important that consecration to God be the first requisite and devotion to Him, not skill. Because when we begin to do that, you think you are succeeding, but you are not. The work of God is done for the purpose of converting people into the knowledge of God. How can someone who is not consecrated bring the knowledge of God to others while doing the work? They will only be doing it as just a normal business in the world, just done for the money making not for bringing people into the knowledge of the truth and a lot of evil will come into that work you see in places that are supposed to be ministries of the lord things are happening there relationships between married people fornication and adultery stealing theft why is it so because we are selecting intellect above piety that is the reason you see there was a man called kenneth wood and he had something to say about this manner of working speaking concerning his church he said to them perhaps the most serious danger that threatens the church is that it will lose its uniqueness that it will become like the world around it that its schools its medical institutions its method of promotion its literature its standards of measuring success will be scarcely distinguishable from those of the secular world yet few people in the church seem concerned about this danger too many measure success by gains and tithes and membership they are confident that all is well with our educational institutions so long as enrollments are increasing and 
accrediting bodies are pleased. They seem satisfied with our hospitals so long as their bed occupancy rate is, is high and their budgets are balanced. They are content with our literature so long as it sells well and is appreciated by readers. You see, they are not checking the content. When anyone raises questions as to whether spiritual values are being given sufficient emphasis, whether our literature is distinctively Adventist, or whether an institution is being operated in harmony with God's revealed will, often he is considered a negative influence, a fanatic. Few people in the church welcome criticism, even though it be constructive. Most would rather be told that everything is going well that conditions may not be perfect, but they are the best they have ever been. It's important to keep in mind that the church may operate institutions that meet worldly standards but not God's standards. The church may give the appearance of being enormously successful and still be a failure. Burgeoning financial and membership statistics may be accompanied by a sharp decline in spirituality. Employees in denominational institutions may be efficient but not spiritual. Some time ago, we were startled by several passages in a book entitled Keys to the Deeper Life by A. W. Tozer, a consecrated non-Adventist Christian. In the book, the author declared, The separating line between the church and the world has been all but obliterated. Aside from a few of the grosser sins, the sins of the unregenerate world are now approved by a shocking number of professedly born-again Christians and copied eagerly. Young Christians take as their models the wreckest kind of worldlings and try to be as much like them as possible. Religious leaders have adopted the techniques of the advertisers. Boasting, baiting, and shameless exaggerating are now carried on as a normal procedure in church work. The moral climate is not that of the New Testament but that of Hollywood and Broadway. Most evangelicals no longer initiate, they imitate, and the world is their model. End of quote. That's end of A.W. Tozer's quote. So continuing Kenneth Wood's statement now, he said, Is this indictment too harsh? We think not. Too many Christians are aping the world in appearance and conduct. They imitate rather than initiate. They bring secular techniques into the church to carry forward the work of God. Perhaps Mr. Toza described Laodicea best when he said, Religious work can be done by natural man without the gifts of the Spirit, and it can be done well and skillfully. Remember? Huram. But work designed for eternity can only be done by the eternal spirit. No work has eternity in it unless it is done by the spirit through gifts he has himself implanted in the souls of redeemed man. Spiritually gifted persons are ominously few among us. When we so desperately need leaders with the gift of discernment, for instance, we do not have them and are compelled to fall back upon the techniques of the world. This frightening hour calls aloud for men with the gift of prophetic insight. Instead, we have men who conduct surveys, polls, and panel discussions. End of quote. So continuing Kenneth Wood's statement now. Can religious work be done skillfully and well by natural man? Yes. Huram is an example. 
Physicians can treat diseases, surgeons can perform operations, teachers can teach, promoters can promote, pressmen can run presses, nurses can care for the sick, secretaries can manage offices, editors can edit, layout artists can create clever designs for magazines, administrators can manage and direct, treasurers can manage finances and on and on. All of these activities can be carried forward by natural man. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 and 13 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The natural man sees no necessity for yielding to and following implicitly the counsel from God's Spirit as set forth in the Bible and the writings of Ellen White. The natural man sees no great danger in deviating slightly from the expressed will of God. By contrast, the spiritual man distrusts self and seeks earnestly to do God's work in God's way. Thus, if natural men are in positions of leadership in God's work, the church is in peril. What then is one need of Laodicea? That all leaders, all workers, and all employees of the remnant church shall be spiritual men and not natural men. Wrote Ellen White, to our ministers, physicians, teachers, and all others engaged in any line of service for the Master, I have a message to bear. The Lord bids you to come up higher and to reach a holier standard. You must have an experience much deeper than you have yet even thought of having. Be zealous, therefore, and repent, the angel tells us. What will be our response? Will we continue to excuse our deficiencies and proclaim our lack of any need, or will we repent? While we make up our minds, Jesus stands at the door and waits. That is the end of uh, Kenneth Wood's statement. And I cannot say it any better. The lesson that we learn in this reunion between Huram and Solomon is not to make the mistake of selecting people who are natural men to do the work that is spiritual. If there is a spiritual work, it is not for us to be asking what is your qualification? Do you have the doctorate or do you have the BSc or are you a professor, professor of what? What matters is that we have the Spirit of God. Do you qualify spirit? Do you get the Holy Spirit in the schools? Is it by certificate that someone has the Holy Spirit? Is it by skill that one has the Holy Spirit? It is not by skill. And as far as the work of God is a spiritual work, the true qualification that we should start with is consecration. A person who wants to do the work according to the will of God, the spiritual man 
who will distrust self and do things according to God's will and who will do it out of a spirit of self-sacrifice and also in devotion to God. We should learn this lesson of free will offerings to the Lord. When, whenever, whenever there is a work to do for God, as long as there is a call like it was for the children of Israel, we must imitate their liberality. We should freely give to the work and not be the one who wants to grasp and use God's work to make money. You go to the churches, some people come there for business. They want to hear oh, that there's a magazine to be printed and there's this cloth to make and all of that. And they want to charge the church and collect huge sums from the people just to make money from the church. They are bidding for contracts in the church so that they can make money out of it. There are hurams and hirams today in the church of God. But we must not encourage such kind of things. If people will want to require high wages, church members requiring high wages out of the work of God that they know this work is the work of God, then it should not be encouraged. The work should be given to people who are spiritual, who want to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. There have been times when even the church is using the people to make money. They come to sell materials to the members at exorbitant prices telling them to buy something that they can buy very cheaply out there and they will sell it for huge sums claiming that they are raising funds raising funds like the world if we want to raise funds in the church of god it should be done freely the people should be requested for bring the money freely but you know what many times the people are requested to bring money in such worldly ways whenever the church wants to do something that is worldly but if you really want to do something that is spiritual you want to do an evangelism, you know that the people will give freely. It is not going to be something that you will need to beg them, except they are not spiritual people, of course. And why would you collect it from them when they are not willing to give? People should not be forced, and the fundraising should not be done in such a way that is done like the world doing bazaars and concerts and then people will sing and they come and drop money and then you say more and more and then people will come and drop more money and then you say oh i want you to sing this song and i'm dropping this amount of money so that you can sing this song all those kind of worldly ways of raising funds look at the children of israel it was only free will offering the lord requested from them and today he is still requesting only free will offerings the spiritual way things are done and even after the offering is given when the work is about to be done it should be done by people who are spiritual i'm not talking about church buildings now that you need experts for um, the six branches of the world like i mentioned earlier our educational institutions our sanitariums our hospitals our church work the ministerial work, the corporate work all these works it is not to request for people's certificates and uh, asking about their skills but it is character that matters a consecration piety consecration to god that is what matters and this is what we should request from ourselves and from others if we must do the work of god not like hiram who was one that was using god's uh, work to enrich himself i pray that the lord will really let this message to sink in and that we will consider that the Lord our God is, our, is He that sent His Son to die on the cross of Calvary for our sins. We owe Him everything. And whenever He wants something from us, we should rush and be freely willing to give Him. Not to be requesting, oh, I, you pay me this or pay me that. Is it your skill? Remembering that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for your sins and you can never ever pay Him for it. We should be willing to give to Him freely. We should be willing to spend ourselves for Him, knowing that we can never pay Him for what He has done for us. 
Therefore, we will not look at the work of God as a means to enrich ourselves. May the Lord help us to understand these things, is my prayer. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, please forgive us if there are times we have ever been among those who use these wrong means of raising funds that is not sacrificial. I pray, Lord, that you help us, that these lessons we are learning, you give us the grace to understand it properly and to put it into practice. That whenever there is a work to do for you, that we will do it freely from our hearts, out of a love that we have for you, remembering how much you have done for us, that we will not exact as though we want the Lord to pay us when you have paid for our sins. Forgive us for thinking in such a way. And I pray you will help us to consecrate ourselves to you and give a, a, a sacrificial offering to you anytime it is needed. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.